Welcome to the final episode of our study through the Gospel of Mark here on the Listener's Commentary. In this recording, we're going to look at Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, and the mystery of the ending of Mark's Gospel. So we're going to wrap up the Gospel of Mark. We're going to wrestle with... Uh, really this mystery surrounding the ending of Mark's gospel. And then we'll look at some of the specific words and phrases down through these verses in Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. And the place to begin is to acknowledge that in most Bibles, verses 9 through 20 are usually marked off with brackets. And the reason for that is to indicate that they may not be part of the original manuscripts of Mark's gospel. And the reason that there's a question about this is because there are some really, really old manuscripts of Mark's gospel that don't include verses 9 through 20. And there are some really old ones that do include verses 9 through 20. And so that has actually left the church with a mystery from ancient times as to exactly how did Mark's gospel end? Did Mark's gospel end at verse 8? If so, that just seems like such an abrupt ending. Why such an abrupt ending? If if not, then where did verses 9 through 20 come from? Because the grammar and the vocabulary seems different than the other stuff in Mark's gospel. And it seems like Mark 16, 9 through 20 is actually just summarizing maybe some of the other appearances from the other gospels. And yet, verses 9 through 20 are very well known from the earliest times, at least in some parts of the early church. And so the fact is, we don't fully know. It's just very much a mystery. And it's been a mystery really for most of church history. For example, um, Bruce Metzger in his textual commentary on the Greek New Testament, Bruce Metzger has been probably one of the leading experts on the text of the New Testament uh, for a long, long time. And Bruce Metzger, commenting on these verses, says that Clement of Alexandria and Origen, and Origen was writing in the early third century, so here we're talking um, a couple hundred years into church history, Clement of Alexandria and Origen show uh, no knowledge of the existence of these verses. Furthermore, Eusebius, early church historian from the 300s, and Jerome, a well-known church father, neither Eusebius nor Jerome attest that this passage was in the manuscripts that they knew of. And so it was absent to their manuscripts. On the other hand, Irenaeus, a church father from about 180, so about 150 years after the life of Jesus, about 100 years after uh, the last apostle, Irenaeus he knew of these verses. Um, this is what he says. Also, towards the conclusion of his gospel, Mark says, So then, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. And that's quoting Mark 16, 19. And so, Irenaeus, in his version of Mark's gospel, it had these verses. And he's earlier than either Clement, Origen, Eusebius, or Jerome. Um, not only that, Justin Martyr, who himself is earlier than Irenaeus, he's actually one of the very first and best early apologists for the faith. And his first apology, he actually uses the words from Mark 16, 20 as a fulfillment of messianic prophecy. Um, 
And then his, his student, Tatian the Syrian, about 120 to 180, he was a writer and a theologian. And in his Diatessaron, which was a harmony of the four Gospels, where Tatian tried to put together all four and make an early harmony of the four Gospels, he incorporates material um, from these verses in his harmony of the Gospels. And so what it seems like is... There are two competing versions of the Gospel of Mark in the early days of the church with then later generations of Christians making copies of the versions which they had access to. So there's there's a strand that has access to verses 9 through 20, and there's a strand that doesn't seem to be aware of verses 9 through 20. And that's what has made this such a mystery for really all of church history. And so we just wonder, man, how was Mark's gospel supposed to end? How did Mark originally end it? And we just don't know. Now, before we look at these verses and walk down through them, let me just make a few comments about textual criticism, the textual reliability of the New Testament, because this is the kind of thing that raises real questions. Like, wow, like, what? We don't know? Like how Mark's gospel ended, that there seems to be some question marks about this. Does that call into question my entire New Testament or the whole gospel of Mark? What are we talking about here? Well, what we're talking about is the science of textual criticism. And the science of textual criticism is that science that looks at all the available manuscripts. And when you're talking about ancient manuscripts, you're talking about hand-copied manuscripts, not photocopied, hand-copied manuscripts. And when you're talking about like ancient Greek manuscripts, there were no spaces between words and there were no punctuation marks in the original Greek manuscripts. So then you're copying by hand and it's really easy to make mistakes, right? So textual criticism goes through and evaluates all the manuscripts, uh, notes all the places where there's maybe some variation in the manuscripts, and some are really, really obvious to say, oh, I can totally see what happened here and how you know, this line got skipped out in this manuscript because of whatever, right? And so some are really easy to sort out. Some are just a matter of words. Or some, like this one here in Mark, are like, wow, there's a whole chunk and we're just not sure exactly um, what to do with that and what's the best manuscript tradition on that. Um, does this mean our New Testament is unreliable, that it's been edited and changed so much that it's like, man, we just don't know what it originally says. And no, it doesn't. We don't have access to the original manuscripts. Those are long since lost. But we do, this is really important, we do have access to the original text. By and large, we know exactly what was originally written by the uh, authors themselves, even though we don't have the paper on which they wrote it. So if we had the paper, that would be the original manuscript. But we do have the original text uh, with over 99% certainty. And the reason for that is because we, for the New Testament, have more manuscripts than any other ancient Greek or ancient Roman writing, and we have better manuscripts than any other ancient Greek or ancient Roman writing. And so if you're going to question the New Testament uh, text, you would have to throw out virtually everything we know about classical Greek history, cla uh, classical Roman history, and all that, because for the New Testament, more manuscripts, better manuscripts. And the re reality is, even with the sheer abundance of manuscripts we have, 
the places where there's questions about what the original, uh, what the author originally wrote affects less than 1% of the text. Did you catch that? We know where all the places are where there's any manuscript variation, textual criticism, and those places only affect 1%, actually a little less than 1% of the text. And so with 99 plus percent certainty, we know what was originally written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, and all the other writers of the New Testament. And so we have complete confidence that what we're reading is, by and large, the original text. There are places, like this in Mark, that's like, hmm, not sure if Mark originally wrote this or where this came from. But for the most part, it only affects a word here, a sentence there. Occasionally you get a, a chunk or two like this. But for the most part, it affects very, very little of the text. And here's the thing. If we wanted to, we could just ignore all those variations and we would lose nothing of significance, no truth, no doctrine, nothing of importance um, as far as what the church has believed about Jesus for its entire history. So, though we have questions about how Mark's gospel ends, we lose nothing of significance about the Jesus story and the early church because of those questions. All right, so with that then, let's jump in and just walk quickly down through verses 9 through 20 to hear how these verses end the Gospel of Mark. And if they were original, then this is how it ends. If they're not, this is how someone incredibly early on in the early church felt like it was an appropriate ending for the Gospel of Mark. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, which we had just read about in verses 1 through 8, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven de demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him, to the apostles. And you can read these accounts in the other Gospels uh, and hear how they tell these same stories. So she went and reported to those who had been with him, while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it, just as it is in Luke's gospel and in the other gospels as well, until they themselves verified it with their own investigation and their own experience of the resurrected Jesus. Now, verse 12, after that, he, Jesus, appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking on their way to the country. And they went away and reported it to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. And this sounds like a, an allusion to Luke 24 and the two on the road to Emmaus when Jesus appears to them and he comes and he leads them on a study through the scriptures to help them understand the Messiah more. And then he eats dinner with them and breaks the bread. And all of a sudden their eyes are opened and they realize it's the Lord. And then they race back to Jerusalem and they report to the rest of the apostles what was going on. And so that may be what's being... Uh, uh, alluded to that story here in verses 12 and 13. And then verse 14, later he appeared to the 11 uh, disciples themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reprimanded them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen from the dead. And so that seems to actually kind of continue the story in Luke 24 with Jesus now appearing to the 11 back in Jerusalem behind locked doors as we read about in Luke chapter 24. And so all of that in verses 9 through 14 
summarizes some of the other stories that are told in Luke 24 or the end of uh, Matthew's gospel or even John's gospel as well. Then verse 15 picks up and says, And he said to them, and this is Mark's version of the Great Commission that we read about in Matthew 28. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, and the one who has not believed will be condemned. And this, is again, is very similar to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, that mentions going into all the world and making disciples and teaching them and baptizing them. And so we get the same sort of thing here. Now, some have objected to this particular verse, particularly verse 16, because of the connection of baptism with being saved. However, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 makes the exact same connection. Uh, it makes the same connection of baptism and salvation. And remember, Mark's gospel is traditionally viewed as coming from Peter himself. And so it's clearly original to Peter there in 1 Peter chapter 3, 20. There's no reason to think it wouldn't be uh, original in some sense to the view of the early church. In fact, when you read uh, the book of Acts, this is exactly what they did. They went, they preached Jesus. When people believed in Jesus, they baptized them, usually on the same day in the book of Acts. And so in the early church, that's just how it worked. And, uh, and not only that, verse 16 highlights the priority of faith. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, baptize them. If someone doesn't have faith in Jesus, they're going to be condemned. Faith is the priority. It's trusting Jesus that matters baptism is sort of like the line in the sand to say, I want to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. And so in the book of Acts, that's what they did. Someone came to faith in Jesus, the early church baptized them, usually on the very same day. And so Jesus here in Mark's version of the Great Commission tells them to go into all the world, lead people to faith in him, baptize them. Then, verse 17, these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new languages. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And we see this sort of thing in the book of Acts again in the early church. Uh, usually, in the book of Acts, it's through the hands of the apostles or in the close associates with the apostles. And so we do see this sort of stuff happening throughout the early church in uh, the book of Acts. And then verse 19, so then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked through them and confirmed the word by the signs that follow. And this clearly echoes Luke 24 and Acts 1 with the ascension of Jesus up into heaven, the idea of the Lord working through them and confirming the word by the signs and wonders that they performed. That's the same language from Hebrews uh, and other places in the New Testament, and so completely in sync with what we see elsewhere. And this is how the longer ending of Mark's gospel goes. And so perhaps these words are the original way Mark's gospel was intended to end, and they were lost in some manuscripts. Um, there's questions about that because some of the vocabulary and language seems different than what's used in the rest of the gospel, and so scholars wrestle with that. So we don't know for sure if they were original, but what we do know in reading through them is they, they simply 
summarize, restate some of the other things we see at the ends of other Gospels or in the book of Acts and elsewhere in the New Testament. There's nothing here that's out of sync with um, things we see happening elsewhere in the New Testament. And so with that, we come to the end of our study of the Gospel of Mark. But before we leave, let me just say a huge thank you to those of you who make the ministry of the Listener's Commentary and the Bible and Life Online Bible Teaching Ministry possible by your faithful and generous support. Whether you support through the Study Hub, whether you support through World Family Mission, this ministry is made possible by your faithfulness, your prayers, and your financial support. So thanks a ton for that. If you have been impacted or blessed in some way from this study, you can join the team of supporters by going to listenerscommentary.com, clicking the Give button. That'll take you to a donation portal in concert with World Family Mission. You can set up a recurring monthly donation there. You can give a one-time donation there. And your donations fuel this ministry so that we can continue to have an impact in the lives of people all around the world. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you for it.